And, and again, because of what Christ became to that community, in that community, and what that community through Christ became to each other, it all swallowed up need. Crossroads, let's just keep going. Uh, let this be a place where we are pursuing God with our whole heart. We are pursuing each other, which includes also um, the needs that, that we have, that we can bear those together. And let's continue to pursue our neighbors and the nations as the, as the Lord leads us. Um, two more things. Uh, we are starting a new series today, uh, the book of Jeremiah. I'm really excited about this. Number one, I think it's important that we're in the prophets, that we have a regular diet of uh, this part of our Bible. Uh, I think especially in light of the day in which we're living, uh, they bring something uh, that the church needs to hear. Um, And then second of all, the prophet that we're gonna look at is the prophet Jeremiah. And he had a specific call on his life in a specific period uh, of the biblical story. And it was the period of, of God taking his people from the land and putting them in exile. And he is the prophet during this period. And our New Testament, um, Peter, when he's addressing the church, calls the church uh, to all the exiles. Uh, in Hebrews, it talks about Abraham being someone who lived as an exile. Exile needs to be part of our identity. And uh, so we're going to live into this theme as we uh, journey through uh, the book of Jeremiah. Um, and then also, in light of today, uh, I, I praise God that I can be at a church uh, that's at a church that so values disciples making disciples, and that's something that I also get to live into. Uh, and so for me to reproduce myself, it's also reproducing the calling that God has placed on me, that of lead pastor. And I think about five years ago, um, we bought into this uh, uh, initiative uh, to bring in residents. And residents uh, that are brought into Crossroads uh, so far have been such a gift. And the purpose of the residency is it gives Crossroads, especially me, the chance to raise, raise up the next generation of lead pastors. And uh, thank you for that, Crossroads, that you guys allow uh, for me and this church to, to live into that. Um, so today I want to introduce you to um, our next resident. He will begin on July 1. Let's welcome him the Crossroads way. Uh, Trey Veeker, come on up, man. Well, good morning, Crossroads. Uh, I said this first service, and he did it again, but I don't really have an introduction anymore. You guys kind of had it all laid out for you right there. I love it. Uh, thank you, Rod. Uh, I'm not worthy of that introduction, uh, but let's open our Bibles this morning to Jeremiah chapter one. We're gonna be saturating ourselves in that theme that Rod just introduced us of, this theme of exile. And so for the next six weeks, we're gonna kind of do a flyover of the main texts that speak of that theme in the book of Jeremiah. And to do that, we're gonna start in the beginning. So we'll be saturating ourselves in chapter one, but thematically kind of looking at the themes that Jeremiah is talking about in chapters one through seven. And uh, would you just join me uh, once more in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, thank you for your word and that you promise us that when we open it, it does not return void, but that it speaks to us. 
and it challenges us and it molds us and it shapes us. And we believe that it can do that again this morning. So use it how you would in our lives with all the details that you only know about us and uh, help transform us into your likeness. In Christ's name, amen. All right, these are the words of the prophet Jeremiah. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who was an Anathoth in the land of Benjamin to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth, oh yeah, I did this first service. I did this first service and then I, it was the one thing that I had to remember for this service. And uh, first service stood by themselves as well. So you guys have more reverence for God's word, I guess, than me. Lord help us all. Um, I have no idea. Who, where were we? What verse? Five? Okay. Four. Thank you. Praise God. All right. Now the word of the Lord. Remember this phrase, because you're going to see it a lot in this text. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I and mean, we prayed for miscarriages this morning. Think about what that means for those babies. Think about what that means for those parents that are grieving the loss of those babies. God knows them. He has a calling on their life. And he knows you before you were even born. And he has a calling on your life. Isn't that amazing? And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand. He touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well for I'm watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And then the Lord said to me again, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all of its walls around and all against the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, 
against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prepare against you. And here are some of God's favorite words in all of the Bible. For what? I am with you to deliver you. You may be seated. I got that right. All right. We got a little digging we got to do first. So Jeremiah is obviously a prophet. He's a prophet in a specific time in God's people's history, specifically a very painful time in God's people's history. And the book of Jeremiah is this anthology of the life and the work and the preaching of Jeremiah beginning before the exile and ending in the exile. And I'll be honest, if you read this book, it sometimes is just uncomfortable because so many questions arise. What is God doing with his people? Why does he choose exile? What is so wrong with God's people? And how do we fit into all of this? And I believe in the next six weeks, we're gonna start unpacking the answers to those questions. And I believe we will also see three things. Number one, God is sovereign over this all. Number two, God has not given up on his people. And number three, exile, well painful, and judgment is actually God's people's only hope. It's their only hope. But to understand this painful period in God's history, we gotta understand the key prophet that God calls to task at this time. And his name is Jeremiah. And we're kind of introduced a little bit here to Jeremiah and who he is in the first three verses. I'll be honest, I read the first three verses this week and I'm like, I have no idea what is going on here. Like, you gotta give me a little help here because it's just a bunch of names. But thankfully, we have the rest of the text and if you were to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings, don't go there now, 22 through 25, your mind would just multiply with the context that is hyperlinked to each one of the names that were given here at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. So let's read it again. Who is Jeremiah? The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came. In the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign, but it also came in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. I actually think we have a slide as I kind of process through this that'll help us keep in our minds what's going on here. So first, we're introduced to Jeremiah, and we're told that his dad is Hilkiah. Now, this is a humble representation of who Hilkiah is, because in 2 Kings, we learn that Hilkiah is not just a priest, he's the high priest, which means that Jeremiah grew up a very spiritually privileged boy. But not just because of who his dad was, he could go meet with God once a year face to face, right? But because of what his dad did. Because what did his dad do? We're also told that Jeremiah is serving not just as the son of Hilkiah, but under the reign of the first king that we're introduced to, Josiah. And Josiah, by all accounts, is one of Israel's greatest kings. In Hilkiah, we're told, the high priest, Jeremiah's daddy, finds the book of the law, and they just grieve that they have disobeyed God, that they have broken his covenants, 
And so they commit to doing it, living it out again. They repent of their sins. And under Josiah, spiritual revival breaks out in God's people. But then we're told that he didn't just serve under Josiah, but he served under Josiah's two boys, Zedekiah and Jehoiakim, in opposite order. I said it the wrong way. And they are the night to Josiah's day. They are total disasters. And they fling Israel right back into the same ways of sinful living that they had prior to the revival under Josiah. And they don't just abandon Yahweh again. They set out a yard sale sign and sell all of their distinctiveness, all of their covenant relationship with God for pennies. And if you keep reading in one through seven, you'll get some of the things that they do. They violate all the terms of the covenant. They not only abandon their relationship with Yahweh, but they start worshiping Canaanite gods. All of the priests, all of God's officials, all of the leaders are completely corrupt. And as a result, Israel as a whole begins to oppress the marginalized, the, the, the orphan, the widow, and if that's not bad enough, in chapter seven, we're told that just a stone's throw outside of the temple where they're supposedly worshiping Yahweh, it has gotten so bad that they are beginning to practice the Canaanite tradition of child sacrifice. And God calls Jeremiah and he's like, I'm gonna touch your lips. I'm gonna put my words in your mouth and you are going to speak against this. Now, me and my wife were getting ready to move, and so we've been selling some stuff on Facebook Marketplace as we declutter our home. Um, Facebook Marketplace covers a multitude of sins that fill up your house. Uh, just purge it all. But on the other day, she logged onto the app to see if somebody had messaged her for one of the items that we're selling, and at the top of her feed, she couldn't believe her eyes. She brought it to me. She's like, Trig, you're not gonna believe what I just saw. And at the top of her feed, it was this friend that she had had who had posted publicly all of the text messages and direct messages on social media that he had found on his wife's phone of the person that she had been cheating with. And it was just cringe. You just broke, your heart broke for this guy. But if you read the book of Jeremiah, this is exactly what is going on. God, through Jeremiah, is airing out publicly all of Israel's sin and failure, laying it out on the front lawn, exposing all of the direct messages, just putting it all out there. And you think, well, maybe God's just being a petty, but that's not it at all. Their spiritual idolatry is adultery because they are supposed to be God's lover. And so you just see God's broken heart in chapter two as he describes Israel as a bride that has run away from her husband as a people that has sought to fill themselves up with water from broken cisterns that can't hold water versus the fountain of living water. He describes Israel as a restless female camel in heat, just sniffing at the wind because of all of her lusts. He describes Israel as a wild branch that has gone way off course from its roots. 
And why are they doing this? Because Israel is seeking love in all of the wrong places. And God says, enough. But look at this. This hit me this week. Jeremiah begins his ministry under Josiah. Spiritual revival is breaking out. And where does he end his ministry? In exile. By all human standards, Jeremiah has a tanking ministry. What would the American church think of the prophet Jeremiah? He would have no sexy book sales. He would have no big conferences to speak at. He would have no invites to speak at other churches. He'd have no blue check mark on Twitter. He would be totally irrelevant. Jeremiah's church went from a thousand to zero, metaphorically. And not only that, all of Israel's religious leaders have set themselves against Jeremiah. But one thing we know about Jeremiah is that he was faithful. And why was he faithful? I believe it's because Jeremiah rooted his life in one thing, the word of the Lord. And look at this. We're told this over and over and over again. In one, verse two, it says this. I think we got a slide for it too. Jeremiah, to whom the word of the Lord came to. Verse four, now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah. Verse nine, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Verse 11, and the word of the Lord came to me. The mark of a faithful woman or man of God in a faithless generation is a person who is captive to God's word and willing to obey it at all costs. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Israel, faithless. Jeremiah, faithful. But before you think that Jeremiah is just some superhero prophet, look at verse six and his response to God's call on his life. He says, then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I'm only a youth. What's Jeremiah saying? Effectively two things. I'm too young. Nobody's gonna respect me. I don't have any status. Oh, and by the way, I have no talent. I can't actually speak. So Jeremiah is convinced that the two things that he needs necessary to do this call, he doesn't have. And isn't this the way that God calls people? God, over and over and over in scripture, takes our self-evaluation and says, you wanna think I can't use you? I can use you. Jeremiah, I'm too young. I don't even know how to speak, God says, I'm gonna touch your lips. I'm gonna put my mouth, my words in your mouth. Crossroads, what do you think you need to be used by God? What do you think you have to have right now to be used by God? See, our culture screams that to do anything great in this life or anything great in ministry for that matter, you need the two things that Jeremiah is convinced that he doesn't have, status and talent, ability and posture. 
But God calls him. And God uses him. See, the power of God's call on Jeremiah's life and the call on your life, for that matter, isn't that you're a five-talent person or you've made a whole lot of money or that your business has done well or that you have a ton of friends or that you have postured yourself in society well or you get a lot of likes on Instagram. The power of God's call on your life is the same call to Jeremiah in verse five. I knew you before you were even formed and I set you apart and I called you. Read the New Testament. That message is sprinkled throughout that we were chosen. We were predestined by God to be loved by him. And Jeremiah knows the thing that we all need to know to be effective for the Lord is to be captive by his word. To be effective for God is to know that we actually have nothing to offer except for what God is putting in our mouth. You wanna be a faithful small group leader? Speak the word. You wanna love your wife's husbands? Wash her with the word of God. You wanna raise up your children in the way that they should go? Teach them the word. You wanna build your Life on an ironclad foundation, build it on the word. The word of God comes to Jeremiah. And he is with you when you commit to that. You wanna know why so many churches in America are crumbling, not from outside persecution, but from inward disintegration. It's because they've lost their commitment to the word. Do you wanna know why so many kids, this just breaks my heart, are graduating from Christian colleges today confused about basic, plain, clear, orthodox teachings in the Bible because these schools have lost the authority and centrality of the word, period. Because the power of God in the life of God's people is his presence and his word. That's all we got. Because when we abandon God's word, it always ends in exile. And it ends in exile for God's people in this passage, doesn't it? Let's keep reading in verse 10. See, I've set you this day, God says to Jeremiah, over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I'm calling all of the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, against all around and all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. So the message is clear. God's people have forsaken them and time is up and God must judge And then the language gets pretty graphic. And at this point, I get uncomfortable because there's this boiling pot and it's tipping. And when it tips, it's gonna take out the people. And God says, speak that. Speak that to my people. 
And I, I read this this week, and I was just tempted to think that God is flying off the hinges in anger. Like, what, what's going on here? But we actually can't understand this message unless we go way back into Deuteronomy chapter four, where God promises that this exact thing will happen long before Jeremiah is even born, and before the people of God have even inhabited the land that they now have defiled. So let's look at Deuteronomy 4, 25 through 31. It says this. After you have had children and grandchildren and you've lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and you make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, your God, and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses. God's effectively saying, you can't hide. I see your heart. This is what you're gonna do. I call heavens and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but you will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. Then he says this, there you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell, but if, some of my favorite words, but If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in the later days, you will return to the Lord your God and you will obey him. For the Lord your God is one, merciful. Number two, he will not abandon or destroy you. Number three, or forget his covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. This is God. This is not God snapping. God promises them before they even enter the land they were to possess. When you get there, you're gonna forsake me and I will only have one choice and that is to scatter you and to send you out. God is incredibly slow to anger. Think about this. When God sets up this whole marriage between God and his people on Mount Sinai, Moses doesn't even get down the mountain before Israel has already cheated on God. And as somebody that's close with my brother, I can just imagine how that interaction went. If you read the story, Moses comes down and in disbelief is looking at his brother Aaron. He's like, bro, what is going on? I've been gone for five minutes. And Aaron's like, well, we didn't know if you were coming back. And so we kind of just gathered up all of our jewelry. We tossed it in the fire and it just happened to come out a golden calf. And we thought, let's worship that thing. And Moses is probably just like, bro, what are you doing? They haven't been gone. God had just established the relationship and he comes back and they're in bed with somebody else on their wedding day. And exile is 587. And scholars put this circumstance, the, 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 the relationship beginning at Sinai between 1446 and 1275. That is six to eight hundred years of unfaithfulness where God, who loves his people, has to just take body blow after body blow of the unfaithfulness of his people and God pleads with them for centuries, come back home and they say, screw it, I don't want you. 
And this is why exile matters, because if ultimate judgment is God just wiping his hands of his people and saying, fine, you can have your idols, the temporal judgment of exile is actually designed to sever their hearts from their idols so that they would turn back to God. And this isn't vague speculation. This is explicitly laid out in Deuteronomy 4 before Jeremiah is even born and before the people have even went into the land the first time. God loves his people. And God will graciously, mercifully allow you to experience the pain of your sin so that you will turn to God. And God uses exile in our lives, doesn't he? I love how Eugene Peterson defines exile. He says this, exile, an essential meaning of exile is that we are where we don't want to be. We're separated from home. We're not permitted to reside in the place where we comprehend and appreciate our surroundings. It's an experience of dislocation. Yeah, the consequences for Israel's sin is exile. Because the consequences of sin is always exile. The wages of sin is death. When Adam and Eve sin against God in the garden, do they die immediately? No. Are they exiled? Yes. Even when God reestablishes a way to be in communion with his people again, with the temple and the tabernacle, are the people really the way that they should be relating to God? No, they have a boundary between them and God. They are still exiled from God's perfect presence. Sin is a dislocation. Sin drives us to places we don't wanna go and we end up in places we don't wanna be. Some of you are there this morning. God has not forsaken you. He's not abandoned you. Some of you know this pain. All of us should know this pain, the pain of our sin. I remember where God met me in the middle of my exile, the middle of my dislocation from God, the middle of being where I didn't wanna be. I was 18 years old and I was sitting on the cool bench of a Wisconsin jail cell for the second time in six months. And I mean, all of the questions were flooding into my mind. Like, am I even gonna go back to school? Am I gonna get kicked off the football team? And oh, I'm already working to pay off the thousands to my parents and lawyer's fees from the first arrest. How am I gonna pay this off? Is my life ruined? Will I ever get a job? Am I gonna get married? My life is destroyed. Maybe I'll commit suicide. I don't know. And then the real questions started to pop up. Why does this life even matter? And why has been pursuing all of these things that I thought would fill me up been so empty? And is there even a purpose and meaning in this life? And if there isn't, why are we all here? And I was in deep distress, in absolute agony of where my sin in my life had taken me. And by God's grace, I only know this now, but I can now look back with 2020 vision and see the spirit of God working in my life before I even knew him because the spirit of God started to minister to me. And by God's grace, for the first time in my life, I didn't see myself as a victim. Any pain that I had caused my family, that's on me. Any guilt that I was feeling, I did that. And a few weeks later, my little brother, who we had had a horrible relationship at the time, came to know Actually, let me put it this way. The word of the Lord came to him and he saved him. Two weeks later after that, he invited me to church service. I walked into those doors, drunk, 
He wasn't even there. He didn't think I'd show up. He was with friends that went to the church. I called him up. I said, Eric, I'm at the church. He's like, what? All right, I'm coming. Walked into that service, and I heard the gospel preached. And I learned that my sin had exiled me from a relationship with God, but that Jesus Christ provided the pathway back to home in him. But I would have never gotten there if God had graciously, mercifully allowed me to feel it, the consequences of my sin, the pain that it caused, he made me desperate for him so that in my distress, I would turn to him. And that's what he's doing with the Israelites. That's what he's doing with the people of Judah. I'm sending you away. You're going into exile. But if from there, you seek me with all of your heart, there you will find me. And when you find me, you're gonna see, I haven't forsaken you. I love you and I have not forgotten my covenant with you. And this is the double-edged sword of Jeremiah's prophetic message. Look at verse 10. I mean, this is how I'd paraphrase it. I could be wrong, but I think this is what it's saying. God's saying, Israel, if I'm gonna plant you and build you back up, I gotta break down some things in your life. I gotta destroy some sin that has become rooted in your hearts. Is your sin doing that to you right now? Are you in distress? God is so in love with his people that he'll let you feel that dislocation, being where we don't wanna be so that we would turn to him. Can I just speak the promise over your life once more from Deuteronomy 4? But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and these things have happened to you, then in the later days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget his covenant with you. It doesn't always feel that way, does it? (laughs) It didn't feel that way for the Israelites either, for God's people. Because what's coming, Babylon, and it's a boiling pot, and God will judge, and it'll wipe the people out from the land. You know, one of the first things that Babylon is gonna do when they enter the land, they're gonna go into the temple, and they're gonna plunder all of its goods, all of its precious metals, and they're gonna take them out, and this was customary in their culture for saying, our gods have defeated your God. I can only imagine what God's people are thinking We've royally screwed this up. God is dead. God is killed. God lost. But the irony is, this is where the cross is proclaimed. Their God is hanging. God is lost. God is dying. God is dead. But actually, that's the only doorway in. Jesus Christ willingly exiled himself from his beautiful, heavenly home. And he came to this world that he created, he spoke into existence, that we created a mess of. 
And he exiled himself to be with us and to provide the way back home. God exiles himself for our good. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that if you follow him, you might find your home with him again. Exile is not forever. Go read Revelation. It's the end of the story. And the end of the story will tell you that there's a wedding banquet coming. The marriage is restored. Praise be to God. But exile feels like the end of the story for Israel. And whatever you're in right now might feel like the end of the story for you, but it doesn't have to be, which is why the only remedy for exile is one thing, repentance. And repentance is the gift of being able to turn back to God just one more time. God, would you just take me back one more time? And you know his answer always is when we put ourselves in that posture, absolutely, a thousand times over, yes, come back to me. So take responsibility for your sin. Don't feel sorry for yourself. If you are in a place of distress and you put yourself there, it's on you, but that's okay. Because guess what Christ does? He says, you might feel it, but I'm gonna take it and put it on myself. Because the only way we will see that we are not forsaken is by looking at the one that said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took that for you so that you could live in freedom and joy of having your sin absolved and exile will be no more. Jeremiah, the man, a prophet called by God in a faithless generation, not confident in his own abilities, but confident in the call of God and captive to his word. Let's be a church like that for Grand Rapids. It's in our dang name, Crossroads Bible Church. Let's stand on it and his message. Judgment is coming, but it's actually your only hope because God will take the judgment that we deserve on himself and he'll give us the free gift of his grace, but you gotta turn to him if your sin is taking you to a place of distress. If you are where you don't want to be, it's okay, turn to him now, repent. And he's waiting like this, come on in, come on in. That's the purpose of exile. Father, help us to see today that you so loved us that you experienced the exiling nature of our sins so that we might find our home in you yet again. Help us to stand on your infallible word. Help us to feed on it. Help it to nourish us spiritually. And help us to see that this is a message, yes, of judgment, but that's not the end of the story, Lord. There's joy on the other side. And you care so much about your people that you did not give up on them. And we know that for certain because you came to us and you became like us to rescue us from our sin. We praise you for that. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen.